0: We have messy, broken human heroes. So often we hold him up as this hero of great faith, and yet he is a messy, broken person in need of not just a human hero, but he needs something bigger and greater. He's as much a human as he is a hero. You don't need a perfect hero. You need a perfect God. And that's who you have. And regardless of the season that you are in, He's working to heal and rescue you. Hey, good morning everyone. Welcome once again to Christ Church. We're a church about lifting lives, elevating Christ, a church for those who aren't here yet. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nathan. I'm a vicar here at Christ Church, which is a fancy way of saying pastor in training. And whether you're joining us in the room or joining us online, we want to say welcome. Thank you for choosing to spend part of your Sunday with us here at Christ Church. This week, we are continuing our message series, God or the Underdog? We're looking at these stories of our God and how he stands with and for underdogs. He stands with and for these characters in the Bible who were underdogs, where the odds were against them, or whatever was happening, or whatever the situation life had put them in, or they were born into, showed that they were underdogs and how God stood with and for them. And two, how he stands with and for you. When you feel like an underdog in your life, know that God stands with and stands for you. But it's not just about God standing with us, but it's about how these underdogs God uses these underdogs to do unlikely, unexpected, and amazing things. And of course, how he can use you to do unlikely, amazing, powerful things. This morning we are looking at Micah, which is a prophet of the Bible. But it wasn't just a prophet because we have his words. We have the things he said to God's people. And so we are able to uh, read them and learn about them. And so it is a book of the Bible as well. And Micah is uh, one of the minor prophets. And so there's these 12 minor prophets in the Bible. Last week we took a look at Jeremiah, who was a major prophet. So we have major prophets and minor prophets. And if you're wondering what's the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet, were these like different types of prophets where there's like a rank system where like the major prophets, those are the big guys, then the minor prophets? No, it wasn't like that at all. Instead, it's just what we've assigned to these books of the Bible that were uh, written using the words of these prophets uh, we have where the long ones get the name major prophets, and the short ones get the name minor prophets. And so, where Isaiah is like 60 chapters or something, Micah is seven chapters of the Bible. Now, with Micah, I, I knew I was preaching on it this week, and Micah is one of those one of those uh, books where a lot of people know one thing about Micah, and so a lot of people know about Micah six eight. And so, I, I was asking around, asking some people. What should I preach on out of Micah other than Micah 6-8? Now, I am going to preach on Micah 6-8, but I wanted to throw some other stuff in there, too. So what should I preach on other than Micah 6-8? And I was at camp this week, a camp I used to work at. We brought our middle schoolers out there. So I was at a camp I used to work at, so I knew some of the people there. And one of the guys there uh, was one of these, like, these Bible scholars, right? He's gone to school for this. He's studied every book of the Bible, read through it, looked at it carefully, figured out what it means, figured out how to apply for it, apply it to people's lives, preached on them, all those things. Like one of those Bible scholars where I like, I like the Bible. I think it's pretty cool. This guy loves the Bible. Like, like he reads it for fun. I try to read it for fun, but you know, I think it's a good thing to do, but he loves the Bible. One right of those guys, Right. And so I asked him, I was like, hey, what should I preach on a Micah other than Micah 6.8? And, and like I said, he, he loves the Bible. And he responds with, well, which one's Micah again? <laughs> You see, Mike is one of the minor prophets, and even for the people that love the Bible, even for scholars, we tend to get the minor prophets confused because it's not something we look at all the time, right? We're looking at the words of Jesus in the Gospels. We're looking at Paul's letters a lot. We're looking at those great stories out of Genesis, like the flood, and we're looking at David and Goliath, but minor prophets is something we don't often focus on. And so luckily there was other people there that I could, I could uh, ask for help and one of them was named Micah, my friend Micah. And so I was like, Micah, you're named after this guy. Give me something. Other than Micah 6 eight. what should I preach about? He's like, oh, talk about the part where he gets naked. And I'm not going to talk about the part where he gets naked, but it is in there. Uh, And so if you want to find out about it, you should read through Micah this afternoon. It takes about 20 minutes. I'm not going to be like Pastor Andrew and make you read through all of Jeremiah. That probably took your whole afternoon. 20 minutes. uh, Super easy. You can read through it and find out more about Micah and get the whole context. We're going to look at a bunch of Micah, and so if you want to pull it up, uh, read along, follow along, and scan the QR code to pull it up on Bible Gateway, pull it up on your phone, however you want to get there. Uh, read through Micah as we read through the book of Micah. Side note, uh, my friend Micah the next morning uh, showed up in a shirt that said, seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God, and if you know, you know. If you don't know, we'll get there in a minute, uh, but I thought that was very funny. Uh, so, last chance to pull it up, Uh, it is uh, Micah 1-1 that we'll be starting in. And it says, The Lord gave this message to Micah of Moresheth during the years when Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. The visions he saw concerned both Samaria and Jerusalem. So right away we found out a little bit about Micah and why he is this underdog character in the Bible. You see, Micah is from this place, Moresheth. And if you don't know where Moresheth is, that's okay. Nobody does. Uh, a few people do. It's in the southwest corner of the kingdom of Judah. It is, it is right on the border. It is bordering up against the land of the Philistines. And so it's in the kingdom of Judah, but like barely. Uh, it's way away from Jerusalem. It's out in the country. There's no big cities around. It is this little place. And so Micah is from the middle of nowhere. And yet he is prophesying to and prophesying against these big, major political powers, these powerful cities with powerful people, Samaria and Jerusalem, and powerful people from powerful families. Because Micah, what's missing in this description of Micah is his family. Right? So often when you read about a new character in the Bible, the first line about them is Solomon, son of David, or David, son of Jesse. Right? We hear these characters and we find out who is their father, Right, because genealogy was so important to the Jewish people. And who you came from said a lot about who you would become. And so Micah, this man from the middle of nowhere, of no notable descent, is chosen by God to be one of his prophets. And prophets were people that spoke on behalf of God to his people. We often think about them as people who tell the future, and sometimes they did that. But more often than not, they were giving uh, just God's words to his people. And sometimes this was God telling them what they're doing right, but most often it was God telling his people what they are doing wrong, where they are messing up, and sometimes what the result of that would be. And these are hard messages to bring. And this underdog, this man from the middle of nowhere, of no notable descent, is the man who brings these hard messages. Now Micah prophesied during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. They were the kings of Judah. And now I'm not saying kings of Israel because at this time there was two kingdoms. There was the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. You see, back when David was king, David was the king over all of Israel, one united kingdom. And his son Solomon reigned over everyone as well. But after that, there was a split, and some of the tribes of Israel followed the northern kingdom. Some followed the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was known as Israel. Its capital was Samaria. So you might sometimes hear the whole kingdom referred to as Samaria. And then the southern kingdom was Judah. And its capital was Jerusalem. And so when this story talks about uh, the visions he saw concerning both Samaria and Jerusalem, yes, it is referring to these capital cities literally, But it's also kind of referring to these are the places of power and the powerful in these kingdoms. And so he's prophesying against the powerful people there. And of course, no one is more powerful than the kings of these kingdoms. Now, in the northern kingdom Israel, every single king without fail was bad. They led the people away from God. They started worshiping other gods. They weren't faithful. They were offering sacrifices to these these foreign gods. They were doing bad things and leading the people astray. Now, in the southern kingdom, more kings were bad than good, but there were good kings. And Micah actually got to prophesy during the reigns of two good kings in the south. So we're going to hear a little bit about each of these kings to try to give us some context as to what is going on well, Micah is prophesying. First, we hear about Jotham. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. Jotham did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. He did everything his father Uzziah had done, except that Jotham did not sin by entering the temple of the Lord, but the people continued in their corrupt ways. Jotham was a good king. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. He did what his father had done. His father was a pretty good king before him, except his father made a very bad sin, which was by entering into God's presence in the temple in a manner in which only the priests were called to do. And so because of this, Uzziah was known for this sin. But Jotham corrected this mistake, did not do this, and did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. But because of decades and centuries of bad kings leading the Jewish people, the people of judah astray the people still continued in their corrupt ways now ahaz ruled after jotham ahaz was jotham's son and he began to rule over judah in the 17th year of king Pikah's reign in israel so ahaz was now king in the south Pikah was king in the north And like all the other kings of the north, he was a bad king. We don't hear much about him other than that. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. He did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord, his God, as his ancestor David had done. He was a bad king. He didn't do what God wanted him to do. He led the people astray. And here is how, and it is really bad. Instead, he followed the example of the kings of Israel who were all bad kings. Even sacrificing his own son, In the fire. In this way, he followed the detestable practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. He offered sacrifices, burned incense at the pagan shrines and on the hills and under every green tree. Ahaz was leading the people astray. He was leading them to worship these false gods. He was doing so uh, himself. He was offering sacrifices to them. He was burning incense at their shrines. He was worshiping these foreign gods, these gods that even demanded child sacrifice. And he did that too. Right? Ahaz was a horrendous, a terrible king. But somehow Ahaz's son Hezekiah was a good king. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, began to rule over Judah in the third year of King Hoshea's reign in Israel, another bad king in the north. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. Hezekiah was this good king. He did what was right. He had undone some of the things his father Ahaz had done. He removed the pagan shrines. He stopped the worship at the Asherah poles, Asherah being one of these other gods. And he even took what used to be a good symbol, right? This symbol, this reminder, there's a story of this bronze serpent in the Bible. You can read about it later. Uh, But it showed God's faithfulness to his people. But because the people were worshiping that serpent instead of the God responsible for this, instead of their God, he got rid of that too. Because he was done and he was sick of all this false worship happening and the people being led astray. And because of his faithfulness, the southern kingdom survived when the northern kingdom did not. You see, what happens after Micah's reign is because of all the bad kings in the north, because of their corruption, destruction comes upon the northern kingdom in the form of Assyria. Assyria, this enemy nation, comes to the north and conquers it and wipes it out. And they try to come to the south and they even lay siege over Jerusalem. But because of Hezekiah's faithfulness and the Lord's protection, they're able to withstand this and able to stand firm. Now, what happens later is Hezekiah's son Manasseh ended up being the worst king in the south. Uh, he, the Bible credits him as being the reason that the Jewish people were sent into exile. A Babylon, another enemy nation, rises up and sends the Jewish people into exile. And so that is the context in which we hear from Micah, hear God's words spoken through Micah to his Jewish people. And what was the message he was to bring? Well, the message was this. God will judge the corrupt leaders. The first four chapters of Micah is all about this theme. You have corrupt leaders, and God is coming to judge them. Right? These leaders are the prophets, not true prophets like Micah, but these prophets who are pretending that God is speaking to them. But the way they're prophesying is they're giving good prophecies to the people that pay them. And then you have the corrupt leaders who are taking bribes in order to advance their political things and making themselves rich and making themselves more powerful in the process. And you have these kings and other leaders who are supposed to be doing the right things, right, who are supposed to be being faithful, but they're not. And you have the priests, right? the people who are really supposed to be guarding the religion, guarding the people and helping them to be faithful, and but they're corrupt too. And the problem at this time with having corrupt leaders is it almost uncertainly meant that the followers would end up being corrupt too and would be led astray. Nowadays, we have a pretty decentralized religion, right? There's still leaders, there's pastors, there's people who bring God's word to people and they're valuable and they're important, but you are all able to read the Bible for yourselves, right? You're all able to hear God's word for yourselves whenever you want, Back then, that wasn't the case. Not everyone could read. Not everyone can read today. But even still, we have audio Bibles available. Right? Not everyone could read. Most people could not. And so they were, they didn't have the ability to read the Bible. And so they needed their leaders to lead them on the right path. And even if they did have the ability to read, they probably didn't own a Torah. They probably didn't own God's Word. Those would be expensive and hard to come by. And so they were reliant on their religious leaders. And the leaders to lead them on the right path. But instead, these leaders were corrupt. And so the message that Micah is bringing is this. Here comes destruction due to corruption. This is what Pastor Andrew paraphrased Jeremiah to be about, and it's true about Micah as well. Due to the corruption of your leaders, Israel, here comes destruction. Micah 2.1 says this, What sorrow awaits you who lie awake at night thinking up evil plans. You rise at dawn and hurry to carry them out simply because you have the power to do so. Right? It's the leaders, it's those in power that are corrupt and are bringing about this destruction. Now I'm going to read all of Micah 3. I think it's an extremely powerful passage. And the reason I want to read it out loud is because when we read the prophets, we're able to hear them a little bit differently. So many of them are written in Hebrew poetry, and so if you're reading Psalms or Proverbs or any of the prophets, most of the prophets, they're poetic in nature. And so they're meant to be spoken and they're meant to be heard, and even though we don't get all of that because we don't speak Hebrew, even in English, a lot of that beauty comes through. And these words are beautiful, even though they are terrifying and about destruction, and about corruption. So please listen to these words of Micah 3, 1 through 12. I said, listen, you leaders of Israel. You are supposed to know right from wrong, but you are the very ones who hate good and love evil. You skin my people alive and tear the flesh from their bones. Yes, you eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, and break their bones. You trap them up like meat for the cooking pot. Then you beg the Lord for help in times of trouble. Do you really expect him to answer? After all the evil you have done, he won't even look at you. This is what the Lord says. You false prophets are leading my people astray. You promise peace for those who give you food, but you declare war on those who refuse to feed you. Now the night will close around you, cutting off all your visions. Darkness will cover you, putting an end to your predictions. The sun will set for you prophets, and your day will come to an end. Then you seers will be put to shame, and you fortune-tellers will be disgraced. And you will cover your faces, because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord. I am filled with justice and strength to boldly declare Israel's sin and rebellion. Listen to me, you leaders of Israel. You hate justice, and you twist all that is right. You are building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. You rulers make decisions based on bribes. You priests teach God's law only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy unless you are paid. Yet all of you claim to depend on the Lord. No harm can come to us, you say, for the Lord is here among us. Because of you, Mount Zion will be plowed like an open field. Jerusalem will be reduced to ruins. A a thicket will grow on the heights where the temple now stands. There's corruption in Israel. Its leaders are corrupt. And as a result, destruction will come. And destruction did come. It came in the form of Babylon. It came in the form of an exile. And so the message of Micah is, don't be like these corrupt leaders of Israel. Turn away from this sin and instead act justly. Instead, do what Micah six eight says. There is a reason this verse is the most famous in Micah. There's a reason this verse is probably the most famous of the, all of the minor prophets, and it says this: No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what He requires of you: to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You may have heard it like this: Seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. That is what we are called to do. That is what the Jewish people were called to do, and that extends to us today to be just, to be merciful, and to walk humbly with God, to be with God. And when we're with God, when we spend time with God, when we rest in him, when we read the Bible, when we do what it says, when we spend time in prayer with him, when we come to church, when we worship him, when we hear his words spoken to us, when we take communion, when we receive forgiveness from our sins, when we're baptized, when we're cleansed by the water and cleansed of our sinful nature, when we do all of these things, we spend all this time with God, what happens is the Lord changes us. God changes us and allows us to be just and to be merciful, right? On our own, we're going to fall short of this. But when we spend time with God, when we're with God, we're able to be just and we're able to be merciful. And so despite our own corruption, we can be just, we can be merciful, we can be with God. And when we're with God, we're called to be like God. We're called to act like God. And God is just and God is merciful. But if God is just, that means a just God judges. Right? A just God brings judgment. And so because of Israel's corruption, there was destruction. And this is true in our own lives too. But the good news for us is we have Jesus. Jesus has already taken on our corruption, and he's been destroyed. Right, he died on the cross, took on our sin, took on our shame, took on our corruption, and put it to death. And he conquered over that death, too, by rising again on Easter Sunday. And so despite our corruption, despite the destruction we deserve, right, we have and there's hope for Israel too. There was hope back in this day because what Micah says in Micah 2 is this, Someday, O Israel, I will gather you. I'll gather the remnant to are left, those out in the exile. I'll bring you together again like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. Yes, your land will again be filled with noisy crowds. Your leader will break out and lead you out of exile, out through the gates of the enemy cities, back to your own land. Your king will lead you. The Lord himself will guide you. Right, you will be led back out of exile, back into the promised land. And God fulfilled this promise. But this promise extends beyond just that, too, because this last part here says your king will lead you, the Lord himself will guide you. And a lot of scholars think this is referring to the Messiah, this is referring to Jesus, because he is your king and he is your Lord. And so this extends to us, too. There is hope for us as well. Because Jesus is for us, Jesus leads us and Jesus guides us. At the end of the book, Micah prays this prayer to God. He says, "Where is another God like you, who pardons the guilt of the remnant, pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of His special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever, because you delight you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you'll have compassion on us." It will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. It will show us your faithfulness and your unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors Abraham and Jacob long ago. The Jewish people, the Israelites, the people in Judah, were God's chosen, holy, set-apart people blessed by God to bless the rest of the world. And due to their corruption, they so often failed in this mission, but because of Jesus, a Jewish man, they are successful. Because Jesus provides this blessing to the rest of the world and to us too. And so we as God's children, we as followers of Christ, we are God's chosen, holy, set-apart people today, blessed by God to bless the rest of the world. And so we are called to be faithful but to God. And what does faithfulness look like? It looks like walking humbly with him, and we do so, we can seek justice and we can love mercy. Right? And that is the message of Micah, that despite the destruction of your, in your life, despite the corruption around you and your own sin and your own brokenness, we can seek justice and we can learn, love mercy and we can walk humbly with God, not by our own strength, not by our own faithfulness, but because God is faithful to you. Let's pray. Almighty gracious God. We thank you for the story of Micah. We thank you that this man from Morasheth from nowhere no note. We thank you for his courage to bring this hard message to your people. This message of destruction, this message condemning corruption. And God, we ask that this message moves us too, that we're able to see the corruption in our own lives, those moments where we are prideful, where we are not humble, we don't, where we don't do what is right, where we don't show mercy. Help us to see those, but help us to be reminded that you have forgiven us of those too. Help us to walk humbly with you as we do so. Jesus, we pray that in our lives this week, as we move forward, that you show us opportunities and gives us, give us ways to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. We love you. pray these things in your holy, precious, and powerful name. Amen.